Thank you for joining us for Working Through the Word, a ministry of the Richmond Church of Christ. Let's join our pulpit minister, Mike Johnson, as he brings today's lesson. All right, we're talking about standing today and the importance of standing. We notice that it is possible merely to stand on the premises, to rely on past accomplishments, to rely on some act, to rely on some identity without any follow-through and thereby claiming to be faithful to God like the Pharisees did, like Diotrephes did, or the Corinthians did. But we are people who stand on the promises. And I want us to think about that for a few minutes. Put a number in your head right quick. How many promises do you think there are in Scripture? Just in your head, think of a number. I did a little research on this today from the perspective of obviously different people because you can't get a firm answer. But again, I will recommend to you a series of books by Herbert Lockyer, All the Whatever in the Bible, All the Men, All the Women, All the Prophecies, All the, well he has one called All the Promises in the Bible. And here's what he said. One man has, or it has been assumed or stated, there are 30,000 promises in the Bible. Now he claims that that would be based upon the fact that every verse contains a promise, maybe not the genealogical verses. So there are 31,173 verses in the Bible. There are 23,214 in the Old Testament, 7,959 in the New Testament. And he says 30,000 promises. In 1956, there appeared an article in Time magazine, a man by the name of Storm, last name Storm, out of Canada, read the Bible in his 27th time through, and he made a record of the promises that he could find in the Bible. Now, his number was 8,810, and he broke them down this way. He said, there are 7,447 where God made promises to mankind. Two, God promised his son. 991 men and women to each other, 290 promises mankind to God, 21 promises came from angels, one from a man to an angel, two promises by evil spirits to the Lord, and then there were nine promises that Satan made, including when he tempted Jesus. Now, I don't know how many promises there are in the Bible. I really don't. But we are people who believe in the promises. So think with me first. What is a promise? 
By the way, if you'll be turning to the passage there in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, that's where we're going to be for the evening. What is a promise? Now, if you were to define a promise, let's think about some things, and maybe one of the best, just because it is so picturesque to all of us, let's think about the promises connected to a wedding ceremony. The promises connected to a wedding ceremony. And by doing that, let us see if we can define what a promise is. So when somebody says, I promise, what are we talking about? Well, we're talking about something that is stated that gives a person confidence for the future. That's part of what a promise is. It's saying, here's something that's coming, and I want to give you confidence concerning that promise or that idea. And so he would say, we would say, okay, the future says this, because you made that promise. Number two, you would say, okay, there has to be some kind of plan connected to that promise, either the person making it says, I'm going to do this, or the person making it says, well, you're going to do this. Either way, there is some kind of a plan connected to it. Then there is a way to confirm it. Someone says, now, did you get that? You understand, right? You, you see what I'm talking about. And we, we, we do a lot of things, the old pinky swear thing we did as kids. Okay, I'm, I'm tracking with you. A promise is given to someone or to a group of someone, passed on. It says, okay, this is for you. This is what I'm going to give you. This is something that you can hold on to. Then there's a way of saying, now, just to show you, I'm going to write it down. I'm going to write it down, and here it is. Here's the witness. Here you can know, and this is my promise. And when all of that is done, we step back and we go, I feel pretty good. I have a guarantee. Now, when we approach a wedding ceremony properly, aren't we going to see all of that? We're talking about a couple who are saying, into the future, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm confirming this to you right now. I want to make sure that you hear what I'm saying. And we even have a sign. We mouth it. We say, yeah, I get it. Yes, I do. I'm going to. And then we sign a paper. And we can leave that event if we are both on board, we can leave that event with a guarantee. That's how it ought to happen. Notice, if you will, what Paul says here in this chapter. I want to go back to verse 15. He is building a definition of promise based on a promise that he made to the Corinthians. Now, it's important to understand why he had to do this. 
Paul had, as we would say, whooped the Corinthians. He whooped them. First Corinthians, he was talking about all this stuff that y'all are doing. You got to get straightened out, especially that sinful situation of that man who is in a relationship with his own stepmother. You got to fix that. And as this chapter and the next chapter unfolds, he realizes that they had been treated pretty harshly. He said, I'm sorry, I wrote that sorrowful thing, and I, I'm sorry I had to do it, and I'm coming to see you. And he wanted to verify and show them that this is exactly what he was going to do. Here's how he did it. Verse 15. In this confidence, I intended to come to you before. Here's the confidence. Here is the future. Here is a statement about the future that you can trust that you might have a second benefit. To pass by way of you to Macedonia to come again from Macedonia to you and be helped by you on my way to Judea. Therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly? I made you a promise. And when I'm planning my trip that I am on probably involving that Judean famine and he's collecting money and he said, I came by and I left and I'm coming back by. I didn't plan this lightly, did I? Or the things I planned, do I plan according to the flesh? That with me there should be yes, yes, and no, no? I got to tell you, you drop a new Christian in the middle of these verses, starting right here and going down to verse 20, you probably lost him. I admit, I've never delved into these two or three verses before. And it just, when you first read it, it really doesn't make much sense. Paul said, when I made this plan, did I say yes, yes, and no, no? In other words, did I say, yes, I'm coming? No, I'm not coming. Change my mind back and forth, back and forth. But as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no. But in him, that is Jesus, was yes. Paul, what are you saying? We've got the confidence. We've got the yes and the no. We're trying to figure that out. Go down to verse 21. He who establishes us with you in Christ has anointed us as God, has sealed us, and given us the spirits in our hearts as a guarantee. All of those characteristics of a promise are right here in Paul's promise to the Corinthians. That's what a promise is. Now, go with me to verse 20. We need to explain this verse. It really almost makes no sense. For all the promises of God in Him are yes and in Him amen to the glory of God through us. Paul, what in the world are you saying? Well, 
Let me give you a different translation straight from the Greek that reads more like this. For whatever promises there are in Him, the yes, that is Jesus is the yes, and through Him, the amen to the glory of God. This promise, Paul is basing the promise that he is giving to the Corinthians on God's promise in and through Jesus. There are two parts. One, there is the certainty of the promise. All of God's promises in Him, the yes, it's certain. You may not know it. Somebody may not like it, but it's certain. And Paul is saying, I'm telling you, this promise, everything that God ever said in Jesus is certain. And every promise of God is in Jesus. But then there's the second part. Better translated, and through him, the amen. As the first one is the certainty of the promise, the second is the certitude of the promise. Meaning, I acknowledge it. I verify it. I'm on board with it. I agree with it. I know it. I honor it. There are two parts to the promises of God. There is the certainty of what he said. And then there is the certitude that follows the certainty when every single individual acknowledges through Jesus that I have these promises. One writer said, it is an insult to the revelation of God whenever there is hesitation in a believer. Anyone who says, I accept Jesus, who he is, who he was, and through him I count on everything that God has ever promised, and I live by it. I am certain of it. I have certified it in my own life. He gave, one writer gave an example this way. Here we are, people in the world, living in the fog that they can't really see. They think they do, but they don't really see. But Christians, the higher they rise in their acceptance of God, they get finally above the fog and they can see what is really out there. If you've ever been in the mountains, 
I played golf years ago in the mountains on a really mountainous golf course. And we went from this hole down here, and we looked up, and there's clouds you couldn't see much at all. But the cart path had us go up high enough that once we broke through the clouds, the clouds were below us. It's pretty cool to tee off up here, and you can't see the ball because the clouds are down there. But you see everything else. That's what this writer said is going on here. Christians are people who have risen above the fog of the world. And they can announce with certitude, yes, I count on the promises of God. Therefore, we are people who stand on the promises, not merely on the premises. And I can stand on the promise of God. Notice this, if you will. The Bible opens with a picture of the tree of life, Genesis 2, and a promise that Jesus is coming, Genesis 3. The Bible closes, Revelation 22, with a picture of the tree of life and a promise that Jesus is coming again. The promise of God is the wrapping paper for the word that he has written. All of the promises of God in Jesus are the yes. And when I accept it, they are the amen. It's the same concept as Paul spoke about in 1 Corinthians 14 when talking about the use of tongues. And he said, if you in the worship speak in those tongues, how will those who do not know be able to say amen? To what you have said. The idea is this. When something is stated and you agree and you're on board and you say amen. You have verified for yourself and all who hear you the promise that God made. And that's what's going on in this text. Let me give you a visual for that image of Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Imagine for a minute this image. God is the bow in a bow and arrow set up. The string of the bow 
is the promise, all the promises that God has made. And the arrow is Jesus. And from the opening pages of His Word, God drew His promise and shot His arrow into the future. And we verify that it is all that He said it was. Turn now, if you will, to 2 Peter. Chapter 1. And now, let us stand on the promises of God. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. I stand on the promises of God only when I know what they are. If I don't know, if I don't understand, if I don't accept, what God has told me, that I'm just standing on the premises. Because standing on the promises begins with the knowledge of what he has for me in Jesus. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. I'm standing on the promises when I accept that everything about my life here and the life that I want there is guided by Him, it begins and ends with Him. It's all about Him. Then I'm standing on the promises. Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. He called us by glory and virtue. Not driving us through threats and evil. When I accept the call of God to be what God wants, then I'm standing on the promises. Many times I have said to you, and many of you have said to me, that you feel the same way. Often, I am put to shame by the words of people who, from my vantage point, may not even be children of God as I understand the process. And yet, they speak so highly and fully that He guides their lives. Example. 
during halftime of the basketball game today. Did anybody see the interview of Oscar Schwebe? You need to look that up. Why did you come back to play basketball at Kentucky? He said, because I sat down and I said, God, I don't know what to do. I need you to help me. Will you give me an answer? He said, God showed me he's not finished with me yet here. Now, what I know is that he is counting on, standing on the promises of God. We may not all agree on every detail of what people say like that, but I promise you this. He is constantly talking about his reliance upon God. I didn't know this, but his father, when he was 12, was killed in the Congo because he announced that he was a Christian. He was standing on the promises, wasn't he? By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. Peter, how many are there? I don't know. I can't enumerate every single one of them. Don't have to. I just know that wherever I find a promise... I can count on it. And when I accept that, no matter what the promise might be, I am standing on the promises. That through these, you may be partakers of the divine nature. I thought we were already made in the image of God. It's true. But he's not talking about that. He's talking about partaking it's one thing to have an image imprint, and it's another thing to say, I'm going to live by that image. When I am trying to live the divine nature of God, I'm standing on the promises. Having escaped the corruption is in the world through lust. We can't fully escape. Meaning, we can't be fully freed from desire and temptation. But we can recognize the difference. And it is our intention to live above it. Not being conformed to the world, but being transformed. And when I have the mentality that Peter has just described, then I am standing on the promises. And every one of us should have this mindset that by my standing on the promises, I can influence somebody else to be stronger, to stand tougher, or to stand for the first time. I think it's easy to see the difference 
between the premises and the promises. The same people are in both places. They're in the premises and give honor and mouth to the promises. But until we're standing on the promises that leads us to the premises, rather than going to the premises to try to get a promise, then we don't have our lives where they need to be. And today, we have self-evaluation. Am I standing on the promises of God? If we can help you stand better tonight, our shepherds would love to speak with you as we stand and sing together. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast brought to you by the Richmond Church of Christ. We are located at 1500 Lancaster Road in Richmond, Kentucky. We meet on Sunday mornings for Bible class at 9 a.m., followed by our morning worship service held at 10 a.m. Our Sunday evening service is held at 6 p.m., and our midweek Bible study is held on Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you are in the area, we would love to have you as our honored guest. Thanks for listening.